The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. And welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. I'm Mike Regan, and I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. And I'm Valdana Hayek, a cross-asset reporter at Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, markets getting a few curveballs thrown at it. Geopolitics is front and center again in the news as the evacuation of Afghanistan turns deadly. And policymakers at the Federal Reserve are starting to make it clear that they're ready to start dialing back the liquidity that has been so crucial to the bull market over the last year and a half. What's it all mean for financial markets? Well, we'll get into it with the chief strategist at a major brokerage. But first, Vildana, I got to tell you, uh, it was a big week this week because our old pal uh, Sarah Ponzak actually reemerged on television. Did you did you catch her appearance? I sure did. It was really an exciting day. It reminded me of how smart and, and well-educated Sarah is, uh, Vildana. But as I, she knows, the one big gaping hole in her education uh, that I've pointed out to her many times is old man movies. Um, she hasn't seen any of them. When you ever you get two old guys together in a room, at, at some point they just lapse into another language that is nothing but quotes uh, from old man movies. And I gave her a list of movies to see so that she could understand guys like me. I think I you think tweeted she, it out once, right? I, d- I did. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, John and John authors wrote a com about it. Uh, not everyone's a fan of the old man movies. I know your generation maybe is kind of sick of us old men, but I do think it's important in your job to, to know the old man movies. I'm going to give you a list too. I think you should, you'll actually watch them. I think. Sarah kind of pretended like she was going to watch them. If you give me a list, then I'll treat it as homework and I'll watch them. Okay, good. And then we'll, we can play Stump Phil Donna with some old man movie clips. I'll give you one today. Let's see if you can get this one. You ready? They're nihilists, man. They keep saying they believe in nothing. You get that one? You need me to re- Crick, should I repeat cricket, it? Cricket's over here, but I have a feeling our guest knows exactly what you're talking about. Do you think? Let's find out. Let's find out. Well, we're joined today by Steve Sosnick. He's the chief strategist at Interactive Brokers. Welcome to the show, Steve. It's my pleasure to join you, Vildana and Mike. Um, you can call me Dude or His Dudeness or El Duderino, um, which Mike knows immediately what I'm talking about, and you don't have the slightest. Now idea. I know. The Big Lebowski. There you go. All right, yeah, all right. I'm just not good with quotes. She got all right. That's good though. I'm I, get, I get half a point. We're impressed you caught it at least on the on the second reference. Sorry, right, that's good. That is impressive. Well, Steve, let's get into it, though. I, you know, talk about uh, a sudden uh, drama in the news with this Afghanistan situation. I mean, it's it's obviously a, a heartbreaking situation from a, a humanitarian standpoint. And I, I know, you know, it can be awkward to talk about that type of thing as it relates to markets, but um, such is our, our fate in life, I guess. So, um, you know, our, our thoughts and, and sympathy to everyone affected by that. But um, um, I, I do think our listeners probably are curious 
Um, if this eventually has uh, the chance to to be a catalyst in the market, you know, I, I for me, I can't really draw a straight line from what's going on to sort of any fundamentals uh, in the economy or in the markets. Maybe oil it gets a little jittery in those markets, but you know that doesn't always stop the market from having sort of a knee jerk reaction to this sort of thing, uh, especially on Thursday of this week as it. The, the bombings happened and, and there's reports coming in uh, as we tape right now of some some Marines being killed in the bombings. Is this a market, potentially a market moving event, do you think, um, either in the short term or in the long term, if this sort of affects the U.S. standing geopolitically uh, with other um, uh, situations around the world? Well, as, as tough as it is to deal with, it's as a market moving event, it's, it's really an outlier. Uh, you know, Think of it this way, and, and I don't mean to minimize what happened today by any means, but the last week and a half, two weeks in Afghanistan has been, you know, pretty much an unmitigated um, set of scenes of, of, of nightmarish looking, you know, nightmarish looking setups. And, you know, the, the, the thought is, is it like Saigon or whatever? Um, bottom line, though, is the market didn't care. And for better or worse, this is not, you know, the markets, I will say, I think the, the people in the markets care. But ultimately, when you get down to it, it's not, Afghanistan is such an outlier to the world economy. It doesn't contribute much in the way of GDP, if anything. Um, you know, their main export at this point is, is opium poppy, uh, which is really outside the, you know, the, the framework of the economy. And so if if we have to think in the terms of what does this mean to Earnings and 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 cash flows or whatever it doesn't, um, and, and that's why the, that's why the market reaction is is has been muted in that regard. It, it, yes, the markets sold off on that tr- trigger. I think markets just don't like anything, uh, any sort of terrorism that because that's that's a more visceral problem. But in terms of a, a widespread economic thing, perhaps there's a geopolitical answer answer in there, but. Um, you know, I think I think in the world of day to day trading and short term investing, it's just not there's there's not a clear cause effect in terms of what what's going to move a market. And I think, Steve, the through line here is that the market has been able to look past so much. I think a lot of people refer to the market climbing, you know, the wall of worry. And, and you know, we keep hitting record high after record high. I think the big question is how much longer all of this can go on for, and I'm hoping you can share your thoughts. Well, I think we'll get a, some clarity on that regard um, this this weekend. Um, you know, as the Jackson Hole conference proceeds, you know, Friday, Saturday. Um, you know, we're, we're as we're taping this now. I think they're you know they're having drinks on the patio, you know, virtually, <laughs> um, or those who, or those who had non refundable tickets, you know, and hotel reservations are, um, but. You know, I, I think that the key is this has been a very liquidity-driven market. I think that somehow the market has markets have still really not come to grips with the fact that the Fed is really talking quite seriously about, if not not necessarily tightening, but taking their foot off the accelerator. And you know, I wonder if even just the act of taking their foot off the accelerator, you know, I, I don't love to use the term taper tantrum, but you, you know, I think that. We've gotten we've gotten to where we are in in a wide variety of risk assets um, because of the relentless accommodation of the Fed and to and certainly to some extent uh, the, the fiscal accommodation as well. Um, 
And I think that the market's going to have to reckon with this. And I think stock investors will probably end up taking their cue from the bond market because, quite honestly, bond traders are better at this stuff than stock traders. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, they certainly watch the Fed a lot closer than than most of the stock traders I know. But, uh, you know, Steve, I was joking about the, the nihilism and the nihilists at the beginning because you had a, a funny quote in, in some of our uh, email traffic before this uh, uh, reacting to a story and not to talk our own book, but uh, I will talk our own book. Veldana and I wrote a story about sort of, as she said, sort of the wall worry or, or just the, 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 the basic unknowableness, uh, if that's an actual word, about the economy and the markets and what's coming next in the age of COVID and in the age of all the stimulus thrown at it. Um, and I wonder, you know, and and you you would sort of describe it as as a nihilist market, which I, I like that a lot. Uh, dude references aside, but I wonder, you know, obviously the 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 Fed liquidity is a huge part of why that phenomenon exists to some degree. There's a lot of money sloshing around looking to find a home. Um, how important is the dialing back of that when the fiscal side of things has been so aggressive too? Um, and, and not only just the fiscal stimulus, the, the spending, but just, you know, the amount of savings that the, the consumer in America has had over the past year, those of us lucky enough to keep our job or, you know, be able to, whatever reason, boost our savings rate. The, the American savings rate just went through the roof. Uh, there just was not a lot of things to spend money on. So in some ways, does that sort of uh, make the tapering maybe less problematic than it would be otherwise if we didn't have this this aggressive fiscal and, uh, you know, economic based uh, liquidity on, on the other side outside of the Federal Reserve? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with how those savings are deployed. Um, I think if you and, you know, I think if those savings, first of all, if those savings were used to pay down debt, um, you know, if they were used to refinance mortgages, um, if they were used to pay down credit cards, uh, the individual's balance sheet is in much better shape and thus able to withstand it. If you then took, if on the other hand, you took all your stimulus money and refinanced your house and bought, um, you know, Dogecoin, I would say <laughs> that your, I would say that your financial standing may be a bit more um, tied to the outcome of, of Jackson Hole. And I think you know, if, if you if you've used those, if, if part of the savings, you know, the improvement in balance sheet is because of the wealth effect from, you know, stocks going up. Let's say you just did something, and let's say you just bought S and P five hundred index funds. You're 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 doing what quite well. Um, if the market reacts poorly, you'll get a drawdown. You probably won't get the full drawdown to what we saw last March. Um, you know, and so that's really where it comes. I think I think the problem you have is when monetary policy is is extraordinarily easy, you, you get a lot of a lot of that money flows into incredibly speculative, not necessarily particularly productive assets. I'll call it a flight to crap, for lack of a better word. <laughs> and I think that as part of this, you know, if, if you own if you own the real the, the stuff that's way out there on the risk curve, that's where you're that's where you're most susceptible to to the to the bigger drawdown. I, I do like to think that we that the vast majority of Americans will end up in better shape as a result of all the things you said. 
but inevitably there will be there will be some who got out way over their skis and and it's going to sting. Voltada, I think we have our headline with flight to crap. What do you think? <laughs> I like it. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Uh, Steve, I'm actually working on a story that touches on a bit of that, where uh, as you know, I cover cryptocurrencies as well. And, and when I'm talking to people, uh, a lot of them say, well, there is just so much money in the system. You had people receiving these stimulus checks during the pandemic. And so it just makes sense that you would see even some of these like smaller alternative cryptocurrencies gaining. I wrote a story about NFTs. Some of them are quadrupling in price over just a couple of days. So uh, I, I know you, I did my homework. I know you, you, you have written about uh, blockchain technology recently. So I'm wondering if all of that makes sense to you or if, if maybe you're seeing something else or you describe it uh, a bit differently. Well, I, you know, those of us who, those of us who can reference eighties movies have seen, have seen this movie before, which was the late nineties um, where you, where you had, you know, the, the advent of the new technology being the internet and, you know, and, and I'll, I'll use blockchain as an analogy to that. I mean, blockchain, has, we don't know what blockchain is capable of. Just as the, you know, the original internet um, was basically just a way to send messages, you know, around. So effectively it was just an email protocol. And now it, it's so much more, um, you know, and it, it's, it's pervaded all, all aspects of our life. Um, and, and the problem that I have is, you know, not all the the Internet was a huge winner. The Internet bubble was was clearly a bubble in hindsight. The result of, you know, the result of an easy of an easy Fed, particularly super tar- turbocharged at the end by the Y2K problem. And then sort of, you know, came apart when, when the Fed when the Fed withdrew some of that liquidity. Um, and, and that's why I wrote earlier this week about, um, you know, is Bitcoin. Cisco? Is it pets.com? What, what is it? I, you know, and I would argue that, you know, Dogecoin is probably more like pets.com, where it's just clearly, what, what are these people doing? They, they know it's a joke. They've admitted it's a joke. Every, you know, except that there are, you know, a couple of very prominent billionaires who, who say the right things when it, when it needs to go up every so often. And I'll, I'll leave them nameless so I don't get sued. But, <laughs> um, but, but that's really, you know, and, and my analogy, I kind of do the takeaway of, you know, some of the cryptocurrencies will be, something will be Amazon, you know, and it'll just be this huge winner. And it may not be what we think it is. If I had to put my money on one now, it's probably Ethernet, Ethereum, sorry. And I actually do not own any cryptos right now. So, um, and so that would probably be the long-term winner. I think, I think Bitcoin, my analogy is Cisco, which was, the internet would not exist without Cisco you know, with all the switches, the wires, et cetera. And, and the market, the market got that part right, except for the fact that they wildly overpriced it. And it never, you know, it never really recovered from, from those, from those bubble days. 
And so, and so that's the problem. And so, you know, and, and so, and once you start really getting into the permutations, who's got the money for NFTs? Well, the money for NFTs comes from the people who made the money in crypto. And so now they're looking for something else to put it in. Um, this is, that's like literally the, the epitome of too much money chasing too few goods. Another thing I often hear is exactly what you're describing, where the money is moving maybe from some of the original or bigger cryptocurrencies towards smaller cryptocurrencies, towards DeFi, towards NFTs, but then also meme stocks. And I know we saw a resurgence in some of the meme stocks this week. What are you seeing there and what do we make of the continued uh, in, investment and interest on the part of uh, retail traders? Um, you know, it's interesting because we, you know, we do keep track of, of what our customers are, are you know, are sort of are, are most actively in, involved in. And AMC has been at or near the top of that list for weeks, you know, sort of in the top five, top 10. So the meme stocks never really went away. I, I, I have sort of put forth the idea that there's a rotation that goes on between meme stocks and crypto. And I think it was very interesting that the day that um, Bitcoin pulled back from the fifty thousand level was the day that that the meme stocks returned, um, it, you know, and, and had their flash. I think a lot of what goes on in in either event is just you know the the sellers walk away. You, you know, if you're if how many times if you're you know if you're a, a market maker, whether it's stock or options or just you know a, a two sided trader, if you see that at this point you've come to notice. That if there's the freight train coming in GME or AMC or any of those things, um, you know, I'm I'm out of here. I'm I'm stepping back. I'm really cutting back. One of one of the little market maker tricks, which I can now talk about since I'm not actively market making, is you know one of the things when when you're market making is we used to have a sign up and it was you know more or less when it gets bad, reduce sizes, re- widen widen markets and reduce sizes. Well, what does that mean? That means you're providing less liquidity at every given tick. And so you hit these liquidity air pockets in the meme stocks because everybody, because it's self-reinforcing behavior. And so I do think, though, going back to your question, I think I think you do see, it, it, if not the same cast of characters, it, it's a similar cast of characters. And, and, and actually what it means to me is there's probably a fairly finite amount of money that's being allocated from one to the next. And so I do think they rotate from one to the other. I think it's quite telling that other than Robinhood, we don't really have any new lasting additions to the meme stock to my meme stock page. And yes, I do have a meme stock page on my market <laughs> minder, um, as I'm sure you do too at this point. Um, you know, other than Robinhood, which which essentially is the you know I use the Cisco. The internet wouldn't exist without Cisco. It's not. I'm not sure that the the meme stock bubble would exist without Robinhood. Um, and so. You know they're integral to it, but beyond that, it's not like there's this new class of stocks that develops memes, and and I, I find that there's a lot of fragility there because these are they now in some cases have huge market caps relative to the business that that, that underlies them, and you know it's it, it's I I fear that you get to a moment where it's like you know Wiley e. Coyote chasing the Roadrunner and he runs off the cliff and he still keeps running, but at some point like he looks down and you know, down he goes. And, and I, I'm not, I'm not wishing that I'm not predicting that, but it's it, the, the, the longer you stay at really, really high valuations relative to relative to fundamentals, the, the, the greater the likelihood that that could happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to put the roadrunner on Vildana's list uh, to, to as well. 
But uh, it's interesting to me, Steve, to hear you say that these stocks are on the the, the heavy volume list uh, for you guys. Just because I picture uh, IBKR clients to be, I don't know, more of the professional, sophisticated set than, say, say a Robinhood, which leads me to believe, I mean, people are trying to figure out, e- even the pros, I guess, are trying to figure out what to do with these things. Um, and I, you know... For a guy like you who has a background in algo trading, um, how does an algo sort of trained brain uh, approach these things? Now, I know there's been a lot of work done to try to sort of quantify the sentiment on social media and that sort of thing. Is that is that the, the main focus of, of sort of anyone trying to trade these from a quant or an algo type of perspective is is trying to, you know, not have to read every post on Reddit, but try to somehow quantify what's going on? I think that's that's one way to do it is try to quantify it and see if you could see if you could, you know, read in sentiment. It, it requires a bit of natural language processing, which some people are better at than others. I mean, the, the, the simplest algorithm, of course, is just momentum, you know, trend following and, and seeing that, um, you know, which which, um, you know, is, is there volume? Am I seeing volume accumulating at higher and higher prices, which leads me to believe that 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 the freight train might be might be gaining steam? Um, and at what point, you know, or at what point does it seem like the volume is petered out? I will say the half-life of the meme rallies seems to be shrinking. Um, you know, we're, we're, the one that we saw earlier this week kind of petered out relatively quickly. We didn't, yeah. They didn't give back everything, but they just sort of, it was a one-day wonder rather than, rather than a, a lasting for any period of time. Um, you know, the, but, but also, also in your question, it, it sort of implied that you know, you were surprised that a lot of the, the customers are doing this, but we have, we do, I would say that we have a more sophisticated customer base than, than average. You know, I, I think a lot of times, even though we have a high retail component, most of our accounts are, are in fact, um, some sort of institutional, you know, in terms of money, certainly some sort of institutional or professional. Um, and you know what? They're traders and traders trade where, where the action is. Um, you know, back in the old days of the option floors, you know, the, the, the people would come and go um, to, you know, to the pits that had the active that had the active names. You know, in, the, in this case, you don't have to physically move from one place to the next. Um, but, you know, people people follow the action. And I think that's whether that's professional or retail. I mean, if you're a buy, if you're a buy and hold investor, yeah, obviously you're not you're not chasing these things. But if you're if you've got any sort of trading mentality, there's there's that's where the volatility is. That's where the money is. And and that's where the that's where the that's where the action tends to follow. And that's where the, the volume tends to follow. Steve, in another one of your notes recently, you wrote about something called Tina FOMO. And I think this this all sort of ties together. I'm hoping you can sort of break down what what exactly that means, because it's a mingling of two very popular acronyms, right? I, th- I think I dated Tina FOMO when I was living in Philly uh, for a while. I, I didn't have a lot of other, lot of other options, though. I was going to say, it so. sounds like a first and last name. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that, and there was the construct. <laughs> I actually got to admit, I, I, I debuted that one when I guest col- authored a column in Barron's about five years ago, but I've, I've loved it ever since. And um but yeah, I mean, it, it's unpacking, you know, the two most common acronyms to describe the market, you know, TINA being there is no alternative and FOMO being the fear of missing out. Um, 
the, there is no alternative part. Now, I'm always a believer that there's some alternative somewhere, but on the whole, I get it. I, I, there's, if, if you're not, if it's very tough to make a case to be in cash that, that earns nothing um, or to be in fixed income that, you know, that pays nearly nothing and, and either is, has incredibly, if you're going to go out the credit, if you're going to go out the credit curve, you're not getting paid a ton. And if you're on the treasury cycle, you're probably, you know, it's still almost a negative real interest. It's still a negative real interest rate. So I get that. So you're going to see you're going to see money moving to risk assets. And, you know, in its most extreme form, that's where you get back to the flight to crap. But let's let's keep it more or less into equity. So if you're, you know, relatively binary cash bonds versus stocks, you're going to be you're going to be leaning towards stocks and, and, and that there is no alternative part. There is there's a there's a rooting there. Fear of missing out though is purely emotional, and and ultimately, you know, although it has fear in it, it's really I think an expression of greed. It, you know, it's 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 envy. Um, it's I don't you know you know everybody else is making money. Why shouldn't I be making money? Now to a professional investor, that's kind of the way their career runs because if you don't sort of mat, meet or you know meet your benchmark or 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 be in the top you know be in that meaty part of the curve with your peers if you're not going to if you're not going to outpace them um you know there is career risk so it's so it's like this weird fear fear meets greed um and and that's the scarier part because the tina i can kind of quantify you know we can we can sit here and say like what's you know what's the right level of risk premium what you know what level of yield should we be looking for in the s&p 500 versus the 10 year and have a very you know, high level discussion about that sort of stuff and, and probably have, a, you know, cause a lot of people to hit the pause, you know, the pause button because it's dry. Um, the FOMO stuff, though, is very, it's, it's, it's this weird, it gets into human nature and that's where you get into the crazy stuff. And that's why I think it's a very dangerous combination. Um, you know, she's a dangerous, she's a dangerous woman, that Tina FOMO. <laughs> The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, you know we like to get into the crazy stuff, Steve. But but uh, one more, at least one more before we before we get there. But um, I think that you know, and this may be oversimplifying uh, everyone's strategy this year. But at the risk of oversimplifying it, it seems like you know the discussions we've had all year, Ben. Well, do you play the reopening stocks, your travel, hotel, leisure, or do you stick with the sort of perennial? growth names uh, in the FANG universe uh, and tech, that sort of thing. Um, I'm curious, A, is that oversimplifying how we should approach the market? Um, or is there still sort of some juice to squeeze from that lemon? And, and, and which side would you squeeze now? Would you squeeze the, the reopening or would you, you know, you, you and the stick with uh, growth and tech for as long as you can? 
Um, I, I, my, my gut is typically, my gut is more toward the value side than the growth side. I think, I think that there are names out there that are, um, you know, that are high quality. I, I think right now it's, you know, the re, the retailers, you know, had this big bounce over the last few sessions because, well, lo and behold, if you, you know, if you give people $1,400 checks and then open the stores, they're going to go spend the money. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm actually kicking myself like, you know, why didn't I just put all my money into RTX or something like that? When I when I was walking down broad, lower Broadway and seeing lines outside all these Soho stores, <laughs> um, you know, but that 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 was my that was my big miss. Left the money on the table there. But um, and my dad was a retail analyst, and so I used to have to go to malls with him and like count shopping bags and stuff like this. And so I'm really <laughs> kicking myself on that one. But anyway, um, you know, in terms of in, I look at it now and say, okay, if I think that the if I think that the Fed is going to be less aggressive at monetary stimulus, and if whatever f- fiscal stimulus is going to come is going to be more in the form of long-term infrastructure type of plays, I'm starting to think about, you know, that dirty word of dividends, um, and I think I want I think I want to own some some stocks that have a little bit of ballast to them, um, as opposed to stocks that are more precariously valued. You know, you had this thing going back and forth where where there was this idea, you know, where people would would sell the NDX stocks, you know, sell NDX if if, if yields if yields go up and, and and buy it on the inverse, which you know was was all predicated on value, you know, on on discounting on the you know discount value of future cash flows, discounting all this. And I'm like, really, what valuation matters to, to you people when when you know that's not that's not really you know. You're 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 trying to trade Amazon on a valuation argument, you know, on a valuation argument, um, you know, or Facebook, you know, the, the, there's plenty of reasons to there's plenty of reasons to invest in these companies, but it's not because of their it's not because of you know it's not because of uh, you know a, ten, a 15 basis point move in a 10 year um, affecting the affecting the long term cash flows, um, you know, and so that's why I would tend to I, I've tended to to start to look for more. Um, more of your defensive plays, you know, if you, if you can earn a couple, if you can earn a couple, you know, percent or two or three, um, in yield, assuming of course that the company, um, is, you know, has, where its cash flows can support that kind of dividend. Um, I can't give specific recommendations, otherwise my compliance people will have my head, but that's <laughs> the sort of, but that's the sort of theme that I think will, um, will, you know, will benefit investors if we start to see some sort of um, some sort of nerves among investors because the Fed is taking their foot off the gas. You know, and if, I'm sure if you do that Venn diagram too, there's a lot of overlap between the beneficiaries of uh, infrastructure spending and and stocks with some good yields at this point. Indeed, there there, there would be you know or consumer staples that you know that kind of you, that kind of thing. Again, I can't. Yeah, I'll, I'll get in a lot of trouble if I throw out all the names, but all right. but you know, our, 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 this is an intelligent listenership, and I know they'll they'll read between the lines there. We don't want to get you in trouble. Voldana mm. might want to get you in trouble. I don't know. <laughs> She's a troublemaker. It could be fun <laughs> for for you, maybe less so for me. Yeah, strategist gets fired for podcast interview. I mean, it'd be great for our metrics. Not not so much for you, but so we'll, we we'll, we're sympathetic to that. If anyone's going to get fired from this podcast, it's going to be me. Believe me. I, I think we can all agree on that. But Vildana, Steve gave us the great timing's everything. And Steve gave us a great setup there. It was a little early, but I think I think it's not too early to, to segue into those crazy things we saw this week. So great setup. 
Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week. I'm going to, how about I start? I never start. Usually I save the, the best for last, um, but I'll just go ahead and I'll start this time. Well, you save, you save yourself as, as last because you like to give yourself the award of, of craziest thing every week. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. I, you know, it's, it's, I'm the judge and jury here and I just have to, I have to do the right thing. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, right. uh, I've lost a few, I've lost a few, but I like, I like my chances this week. So in the world of alternative assets, one of my favorite things is trading cards. Uh, you know, baseball cards, the old uh, Onus Wagner card, Babe Ruth, that sort of thing. Michael Jordan's rookie card is a popular one. I bet you did not know, Stephen Vildana, that there are gorillas, actual zoo gorillas who have their own trading cards. At least the most famous one, Harambe, who was the, the uh, gorilla who died in 2016 and became an Internet sensation. Some outfit made a trading card of Harambe, uh, and it's going up for auction on this uh, outfit, Golden Auctions, which is now my new favorite source for for crazy things, because this auction house is just filled with them. Um, and this story is courtesy, I just to give credit where it's due, Sam Rowe of Axios uh, tweeted about it, uh, and it's actually based on an Instagram post from Golden Auctions. It hasn't actually gone up for auction yet, so we don't really know what the, the bidding is going to look like. But I found this same card for sale on eBay. Now, granted, people who set the buy it now, uh, the ask on eBay might be a little more optimistic uh, than is is warranted. But I will ask you to to tell me, what do you think if you were an eBay seller and you were putting the Harambe trading card from 2016 up for sale on eBay and at a buy it now price? Very optimistic price. I'll throw this factoid out to you, too. On the back of the card, and I did not know this, in one poll for the presidential election, uh, Harambe actually got 5% support for president. And this is after he died. Uh, so I, I think that tells you more about the 2016 election than, than anything else. But, Voldana, what's your buy it now price if you're selling the Harambe trading card on is eBay? There, is there only one? That's a good question. I do not know how many uh, of there are. I will say there's other listings for the same card, but um, I don't know about the condition. I think this perhaps this is the most pristine version uh, of the card or perhaps the most uh, delusional seller on eBay at the moment. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But what's your what's your buy it now price for Harambe trading card? I'm going to go with fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. Yes. Steve, I'll tell about, you why afterwards. OK. How about you, Steve? I'm going to go with 9,999 spot 99. That's pretty good. Good guesses. Steve, I will tell you there actually was, there's another Harambe card up for that price, but the highest one is up for 20,000. I will call it a push between you two. The highest buy now price is 20,000. I, I definitely win. Okay. She's closer. She's, she's $5,000 closer. All right. I was just being polite, but there, and there's one up for like uh, even less than that, but. I don't know. We'll have to check back and see what it actually sells for. I'm skeptical it'll actually go for 20 grand. But in this world, maybe someone will buy it, take a photo of it and make an NFT out of it and sell it for 10 million. I think is, that's, that's the play in this exactly market. exactly what I was about to say. And that's actually my craziest thing. It's, it's part of, uh, you know, some, some of the things I've been reporting in regards to some of the prices that we've seen for some of these NFTs. Then I saw, uh, so if I can give one example I spoke with somebody who owns a pudgy penguin, which is like super, super popular. They're really cute. 
They have these cute little outfits. It's just a cartoon of a penguin, basically. It's an NFT. Um, this guy I spoke with bought it for $1,300. And like four days later, it was worth over $7,000. So, Come on. Come so on. That's why I don't think $20,000 is too crazy for this baseball card. Harambe, Harambe, yes. Yeah. It is a, it's a very attractive portrait of Harambe on the card, I got to say. It looks like he, he posed for it there. He's, he's got this very, uh, it looks like something Steve in his biography photo for uh, his job would, would have a, a nice thoughtful pose. And, but, uh, there, is, I, there is one other crazy thing, which is along the same lines. Uh, I'm grouping them all together for me here in my bid to, to win this week's uh, best, uh, best Craziest Thing Award. So there was a CNBC headline that said somebody just paid $1.3 million for a picture of a rock. So if you have that going on, $1.3 million. Let me at the pudgy penguins, do they only exist in the NFT universe? Was that, they were not something that's been turned into NFTs. They're not a cartoon or something I missed or. No, they exist as NFTs. There's 8,888 of them. They were all sold out. And I really, I do have to say, they're supremely cute. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that's fair then, if they're supremely cute. They really Steve, are. It, my question regarding the Harambe card is, will it be one of the AMC apes who ends up buying it? That's my <laughs> guess. Yeah, it must have been. That, I think that's who the bidders are in that thing, for sure. They reference Harambe a lot. They're a big, they're, uh, needless to say, they're big Harambe fans. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, you, you, I was going to go either with the pudgy penguin or the pet rock. <laughs> and I, I even consulted, you know, so great minds think alike. I, I, I did consult my son who's um, literally, he does marketing for cryptocurrency companies. He's got a free, he's comedian. He's actually a stand-up comedian, but he hasn't made it <laughs> big enough yet to not get rid of his day job. But his day job went from SAT tutoring to doing freelance marketing for crypto companies. And so I asked him because he's very plugged into this world. And he basically said, you know, the pudgy penguin thing has got to be got to be your go to because, you know, he's been seeing sort of the on Twitter, like, I can't believe I spent five thousand dollars <laughs> on, a, on a penguin avatar. Um, and, you know, he, he you know, he kind of went in, went into this with me when I asked him uh, over the you know last couple of days. And uh, that one that to me. So I'm going to I have to I have to vote with Voldana because, you know, she and I were she and I were treading the same ground on that one. Does your, uh, okay. son, does your son own one of the pudgy penguins? He does not. He um, he gets paid in crypto, um, but he um, he tries to convert it uh, because he, he has to pay. He has to do things like pay rent um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and little things like that. Um, well, he actually did do a video where he went around New York trying to spend one hundred dollars in crypto, which is right. harder than you think. I'll have to check that out. That sounds good. I, well, all I keep thinking about with all this, Steve, is, you know, the old joke that in the gold rush, it was the people selling the picks and shovels that were the only ones to get rich. So I imagine in the crypto thing, the, the marketing uh, people are, are uh, could be the equivalent of that in this. So I think that's a good, uh, I think he's in the right place. I think NVIDIA is more the pick and shovel, but. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> true. Good point. Uh, all right. Well, I'll take the L on that. You both see if you both came up with the pudgy penguin, I, I can't I can't beat that. Although Harambe card, we'll have to see. We'll have to see which ends up being more valuable. Harambe trading card or the pudgy penguin NFT. 
Who would have ever thought words like that would be coming out of my mouth on a financial news podcast? But here we are. <laughs> well, Dada Hyrick, Steve Sosnick, thanks so much for your time. Hopefully we can do it again. My pleasure. I look forward to the opportunity and I had a great time with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. What Goes Up? We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at Reganonymous. Vildana Hyrick is at Vildana Hyrick. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. And thank you to Charlie Pellet of Bloomberg Radio and the voice of the New York City subway system. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.